Welcome to Teach Simple Podcast, where we focus on providing simple solutions in the classroom. Teach Simple, a podcast that believes simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. We're dropping gems, family. My brother Calvin Nellum is keeping it simple for the culture. Education, politics, science, physics, he's talking about it all. Just keep it simple for our brother, man. Teach Simple Podcast. Enjoy, family. Welcome to the T-Simple Podcast. We focus on providing simple solutions in the classroom. I got my favorite teachers in Detroit, my family. What's up? How y'all doing today? What's good? Love <laughs> y'all. Ain't nothing much, nothing much. Good to have y'all. I got my sister, Alex Wawalda. Alex Wawalda is a chemistry teacher. She's one of the best chemistry teachers in Michigan. If you want to know anything about stoichiometry, balancing equations, gas laws, she can tell it to you in a joke at the same time. We have an amazing conversation with her. What's up, Alex? How you doing? Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me, Mr. Nellum. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and then I got my brother, Ricky. I've known Ricky since I've been, you know, in Detroit pretty much. Ricky is a history teacher. He is a college prep teacher. He is a, a college student role model. Like, you model students to be these amazing independent learners, right? You are a, uh, how can I, what's the, what's the best word? You know, you practice what you preach, man. I mean, you taught me spades, you know what I'm saying? Like, you are someone who is just like, authentically himself and you know i just really appreciate you and your hard work and effort and then i got my brother evan like i told you everywhere i go evan is always with me on the weekend um evan is the brother who knows many languages but he knows that one language is going to make sure that you can connect with him he is a spanish teacher one of the probably best spanish teachers in the city of detroit as well coming through with the enterprise hoodie chilling and I just appreciate y'all. What's up? How y'all doing? What's up, Alex? How we doing? Ricky? What's up? How y'all feeling? Last day of school, pretty much, I think, right? Y'all finishing up. What's what's up? What's going on? Yeah, packed up the classroom this morning. You know, I found some papers in there from years ago because it's been so long since I feel like I've been back in the classroom. So it was, uh, yeah, it was good. It felt like stepping into a time capsule today, going into that room, seeing like there was a baby name list from when I was pregnant and all the names that everyone wanted to name my baby and now my baby's like almost a year and a half. So it was definitely a weird feeling being in the building, but also really exciting thinking about potentially being back there full time in the fall. Yeah, man, we need it. We need it. We need to be back in there and our kids need it. It's bad. I packed up my classroom today too. I like put a couple papers off of this desk we're at right here off to the side. I think I put something in a manila folder. That was like pretty much the extent of it with this virtual life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And your kids are definitely appreciative. Uh, one thing I've heard is that the kids would never forget their COVID teacher. And I know they would never forget you all. So again, snap up for you all. You all are doing the work. So, so yeah, let's jump into it. So uh, we're here today because you all are family, you all are educators and we are in this new space where racism and anti-racism is, is in our film, right? It's in our lens, right? It's in our education. Uh, just currently in Florida, they banned critical race theory uh, when it's not even in the curriculum, right? Because uh, they recognize that, you know, critical race theory, it makes you critically think, right? <laughs> and if you can critically think, you can ask questions and some people may not want those questions asked, right? But 
you all are more than just critical thinkers. You all are relationship builders. You all build students. You all, I feel like no matter the race or the color, you believe any kid can learn. Um, and I really, really appreciate that. And I wanted to have you all come on today to talk about, you know, uh, savior complex, the white savior complex, because in the field that we do, it's so hard. You know, it is so hard and there's so many things that aren't, how can I say, there, and we have to overcompensate, right? And sometimes overcompensating can kind of hurt ourselves, right? Because we don't recognize that, um, you know, there's, there's this fight we may not be able to do by ourselves, right? We may need a different lens. We may need different tools. And so um, just kind of let's, let's talk about it. So um, I want to read this excerpt from uh, this, this, this uh, organization called the Note White Savior Organization. And I just want to kind of read an excerpt uh, from this. Uh, she's a white lady. And she's kind of just talking about how the white savior complex uh, is adapted uh, in the, in the uh, traveling international field or when you're traveling. So she says, uh, this group out organization is called the white savior complex. The self-serving, she believes she says, it's the self-serving assumption amongst white people from developed nations that they should be saving poor people in Africa. The white savior complex in practice looks like this. Foreign volunteers come during the work. They uh they do they work with local people, local leadership, volunteers, exploiting local people by treating them as entertainment and taking pictures of them in the day and night. International adoptions through illegitimate re, uh, means. So that's like um, adopting uh, someone of a different race, right? Uh, uh, the general idea that white foreigners should be adopting children in Africa as a means of saving them, right? Volunteeristic exploiting the lives, stories, faces, and the culture of African people through social media, right? Um, we, we get the idea, right? But we feel like we need to be superhero because we want to help. But where does that become harmful, Evan? You know, what, have you ever had a white savior, you know, uh, complex at all? Um, and, and, and where did that come from? Yeah. I mean, so I think, and, and I was thinking about this and I, I will say that I don't think that there was ever a point where I said, said explicitly in my head, I want to go teach. I want to be a teacher because I want to save these poor brown and black kids. I, I don't think that I ever had that, that exact thought process, but like a lot of what you're talking about, um, and these are extreme examples in a way in comparison to to the educational context, but it's all based on like that idea of like what is good and what is what is success, um, and that that standardized idea of like white European, uh, that white European perfection of like that being the standard we're shooting for. Um, so I certainly, in that way, I think am heavily embedded in that. I mean, all of our educations are in that system of. Yeah striving to succeed on the SAT, striving to meet these models. Um, you know, we're all built in this, the same system that had like, what are they called? The, the Carlisle Indian schools where they were trying to civilize uh, Native Americans um, because not because they hated them, but because white saviors were saying the way to help these people is to make them more like white European people. Um, so I'm certainly in that ecosystem and I was, raised in that ecosystem and built in that ecosystem and educated in that ecosystem. Um, so for that reason, I don't think there's any way I could say that I'm, I'm exempt from this white savior complex because a lot of the, the systems that yeah. we all take for granted are built upon that, that foundation, right? Um, 
and that's why like a huge thing for me um, is just like interrogating and breaking my own existing paradigms no matter how like natural they may seem when it comes to the things we do in education um, something that's a, a longer conversation for another day maybe but like um, the short answer is yes it's it's in our it's in the air it's in in the water we drink in the system like you can't avoid it as, as a white educator of, of students of another race you know and then before i get to alex you know you say the word like a assimil- assimilationist Hmm. You know, as a black man, you know, I feel like I have a black savior complex as well. Um, and even if uh, I do serve the same demographic as me, we can be culturally different, right? We can have different wants and needs, right? And so just because, you know, I see them as my brothers, my, my wants may be different. So I got to make sure that I'm not making preconceived notions. But yeah, Alex, could you add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think coming into education through there's definitely uh, uh, some layers to that organization that definitely, uh, I think, emphasize, you know, the white savior complex. And um, I think there are a lot of people that, you know, participate in it. And when you do, you get a reaction from people around you, you know, oh, wow, that that's so great. That's so noble of you to do that work. Um, and like, the more that years have gone on, like, the more it started to kind of irritate me. Um, I do get it a lot, you know, when I, people, when I'm just like at the dentist and they ask me where I teach and I say, you know, I teach at a charter school in Detroit. It's just assumed by that person that I teach all black kids, which I do, but it's kind of, you know, laced with this like, oh, wow, that's so big of you. That's so noble of you. Um, And I just kind of started to be a little bit like, but what, but why, like, why, like it, I'm, I think it's just as noble to be teaching children anywhere than it is to be teaching black children in Detroit. So I I definitely think it's obviously part of the culture, right? You wouldn't get that reaction if that wasn't, um, you know, a bias or an opinion or a feeling that people have been grown up to kind of experience and feel. Um, So I definitely think it's there. I definitely think it's a a real thing. Um, And yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, like, like you said, like, it shouldn't matter, right, uh, where you where you teach, but it seems like a lot of sympathy versus empathy, right? Oh, you know, wow, but I'm not even going to put myself in that position so I can really feel how you, you're feeling, right? Um, go ahead, Ricky. Um, yeah, I mean, just to, to highlight and kind of go off what Evan and Alex have already said, I think so much of this is around, like, that deficit mindset, right? And so thinking that oh, like I need to go teach in an underserved area or I need to, uh, even like you said, right? Like like we as teachers might think like this is what our students need, but instead of approaching it from that asset based of like, what do do my students have? Like what, what can I uplift and affirm in my students? And I think that for me has been a bit, a big part of my journey um, because I do have like that direct experience with kind of like those, those international trips that you kind of mentioned with. So mm-hmm. like I used to, when I was in college, I traveled to Haiti twice and I used to talk about like my experience in Haiti all the time with people. And now as I've gotten like farther in this journey, like I almost never bring it up because for me, like when I went there, it was a part of like, I went to a Catholic university. It was a part of this, like this like mission service learning that they, they had. And even when I went on those trips, the, the thing I took away most was 
yeah, I, me and me and my group went there with this mindset of we have something to offer them and, and we are going to help in some way. And I very much left saying that I got a lot more from them and they showed me a lot more than I ever, I ever brought to them. Um, and this, the same thing has happened in my classroom over, over the past eight years. Uh, so much of what has been successful in my classroom has come directly from my students bringing it to my class, right? Like the, the content, the, the things that I bring are, are minuscule compared to the impact that when my students engage or when I ask my students for their perspective or what they want to see, um, those are the moments in which like I think true like learning happens in our classrooms. Um, and so shifting my mindset from like, okay, what, what do I have to offer these kids versus what do they already have as human beings that I can just like be there to facilitate and help bring out and, and push them. Ricky Harzula coming through with the icing on the cake, man. Thank you. Y'all see it, a reflective educator, right? And you can feel the love in their words, right? And no matter the race, you can tell that they care about kids and you can tell that they care about education, right? Even I feel like all educators, no matter, you know, whatever race you are, you should believe you could you should believe I could teach anybody, right? And and no matter the level, like you should like I can I could teach anybody. Right. You know, and we can't come from a, come from it at a deficit mindset. So let me continue reading. So she said, uh, so this is a, a young lady. So she said, as a white woman with the range of experiences in international development, I have too operated on the white uh, savior assumption and have made mistakes in countries I've lived and worked in. I've captured what I thought were cool cultural photos of people in their daily lives without permission. I have grown impatient with the work pace of certain cultures eternally and wrongly assuming that the u.s work ethics is much more effective or efficient i have oversimplified people in a culture by portraying the poor by, ha by excuse me i have oversimplified people in culture by portraying the poor but happy narrative i have over exalted customs and traits of other cultures in the ways that uh it, it exoticize them in times I am not in the mood for competition, I still struggle off comments, remarks, and perspectives that have white saviors undertones. And I love that she's owning it, right? Because when you can own it, which I feel like I have done, which I feel like you all have done, which I feel like a lot of systems, when you're talking about critical race theory, you have to check your own bias, right? You, we all have bias. And so I'm curious to know, like, you know, what was that process like from going to a not racist teacher to being an anti-racist teacher where you have to put in action, right? You have to give up power like Harzula was talking about to, you know, give the student voice. You know, Evan, you can get started, Alex, anybody, you know, like what, what has that process been like from being a not racist teacher to an anti-racist teacher? Um, and, and, and where are you at in that process? I mean, I think, I think you, you said it, like, I think in this really simple sense, it's, it's just, it's a lot of work. Um, and that's, I think the biggest divide between the two is there's just like a lot of actual, like academic application work in terms, in terms of just like learning these skills, because again, they don't come, they don't come natural. Um, like when you're trying to teach in a way that disassembles the system we live in, the yeah. skills are not, are not easy and they don't just come out of desire. So I think um, going from a place of like desire to, to 
patient application of, of like work to get there is is like the place that I'm at. Um, where like I feel a lot of uh, understanding of the the ideas and the concepts and the tools of the anti-racist teaching um, as it relates specifically to to my students and my role. Um, but it's like anything else, you can't expect two, three, five years of that is going to get you to a place of mastery. So uh, I definitely am, am humbly on that journey, but it's like, it's a real lot of work and it's desiring it is the really easy part that most people, all the people who posted black squares at the beginning of the, the protests last year, have the desire to be better people to do things in an anti-racist fashion. Um, but that work is real. Like it's, it's a real grind. So, and I think we're all in different places in that, in that journey for sure. I think like what Evan says about desire is like a really powerful thing. I think all of us have been on a journey for the, you know, our entire teaching careers. We have been aware of our cultural identity. We have engaged in DEI work, but it hasn't been to this level um, since like the past year and a half. And I think I'm very grateful to work within an organization, within a school that is being supportive of making moves be, like in that direction. Because I think in the past, I've definitely had feelings of like, I don't know if I believe of college for all. Like I think college for all is actually a little bit of a white savior complex, right? Like higher education in this specific way um, and that being the earmark of success in our culture that is a white supremacist ideology. There are other ways to be successful without a college degree. So I think like there were definitely years where I felt uncomfortable with that. But as a classroom teacher, how do I feel like I can challenge that? I can have those individual conversations with my advisees and tell them, you know, you don't necessarily need to go to a four-year college, but when you're working in a system that doesn't support that, it can be really challenging. So I think working at a school now where we put more emphasis on, you know, what is your post-secondary path, right? Maybe it is that you're going to be a certified nurse assistant first, and then you're going to go back later um, and become a registered nurse, like helping them really think through these pathways that are more accessible, that are more realistic for where they are in their journeys and their educations at that moment in time, I think are is just so refreshing because I think it helps you move that desire into action. Um, and I think that just speaks to the fact though, that like until systems change at so many different levels, we, we might not see that, that progress that we also desperately want to see. But I think seeing it within our, you know, within the school that I work in this year, that we can make steps forward if everybody is passionate and dedicated to doing the work. Um, it makes me believe in like, the potential that one day it can go more system level, you know, more state, like county level, so that we can get more progress in more schools. Yeah, the, the two things I think about a lot when I think about my own journey and talking with a lot of other white people who have been on different points of this journey, the, the two things that often make it the most difficult are that it requires a lot of unlearning mm. and it's aspirational, right? So when we say unlearning, like Evan talked about, right? Just white supremacy culture is all around us, whether we want it to be or not. And so 
Uh, and like Alex just said, right, this, this idea of like going to college. So even if I as an individual might not believe that all my students need to go to college, there is still a societal expectation that college is, a, is what me as a teacher, as an educator, I should be pushing kids towards, right? And so you're constantly fighting within that. And it takes a lot of work to like unlearn that, right? And I, I don't know that everyone is willing yeah. uh, or intentional about doing the work of unlearning because we're so used to just learning. And once we learn something, we're like, okay, I know how, how the world operates. Like, let me just keep it moving. Uh, and the second thing is that it's aspirational. And I think that this is what often holds a lot of people back to even like start the journey is you never become fully anti-racist, right? Because yeah. to be anti-racist, it, it's just, it's, it's in that moment. Are you, are you perpetuating racist ideas or are you perpetuating anti-racist ideas? So in, in the span of 10 minutes, I can be all over that spectrum right. and you, because you are constantly aspiring to be anti-racist, there's no like end, ending to that journey. And I think for a lot of people, they feel, well, if there's no end point, if I'm never really going to get there, then like, why do all this work and why continue down that path if there's no end point? And it makes it a lot easier for people to then settle for the, yeah. I'm not racist, right? Because you can say, well, I don't, I don't use racial slurs or I'm not like harming a person of another race. So like, I'm not racist, but actually by you just choosing to not do anything, to not do the work, you're choosing to allow all of that that still exists around us to be there. And that is racist. Right. And so those two things always stick out to me when I talk to people about why it's really difficult to start. I'm so happy that you all came on the podcast because I, I have a really knack for picking really great guests because I always know that you all are going to come through with the correctness. Thank you so much. Uh, hearing you, I mean, you all are saying a lot of great things, you know, Evan, you know, just the whole, the logic of it, right? I appreciate the framework. Alex, when you was talking about like college not being, I think of my cousin, uh, I went back to Baton Rouge one time. And I come with my master's degree and my bachelor's degree and my cousins are there. And I'm talking to my cousin Shalita. I'm like, they need to go to college, get a four-year degree, right? And she looks at me with the most OG response. She's like, but that, that might not be for them, Calvin. You know? And that hurt me so much because I'm thinking that I'm about to save my cousins, right? I haven't seen them, you know, since Katrina. I got all this education, you understand what I mean? I want to come with all this savior and, and, and it, it backfired completely backfired completely, you know, um, that's what I mean. And then Ricky, you know, I think of Nicole Hannah Jones, right? Uh, if you don't know who Nicole Hannah Jones, she is the author of a 1619 project, which pretty much makes the argument that, you know, well, it talks about the real, the ending of slavery, but it also makes the argument that, uh, African slaves of diaspora, we are the most American, right? Because we have fought for that constitution to be uphold due to all the civil rights issues and it makes the case for reparations as well. And she literally got denied tenure position at uh, UNC Chapel Hill because of uh, political pressure of her work because it's being categorized as critical race, critical race theory. And I'm like, you know, if I can just say I'm not racist and I don't have to deal with all the backlash, it's probably a lot more comfortable. But if I'm going to speak out and I'm be anti-racist, I'm not going to have that many friends. I'm actually going to have to lose some friends as well, you know? 
Yeah. Thank you all so much. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that before I get to the last question? Anybody? To twist that, Kel, like, I, in, in our roles as educators, yeah. I think just remembering, like, we are often those holders of powers in those small classrooms. Like, there's levels to it. And so even just modeling, like, when we are challenged, I think is a, is a huge part of that, too. Ricky talked about, like, that asset-minded uh, teaching yeah. and, like, understanding that students can be leaders and giving them the, the opportunity and the voice to lead. So like, it's kind of this iterative process where I'm not comfortable, even if I feel like oh, college for all is bad. I'm, I would have never said that in my first couple of years teaching. Cause I'm like, who am I? I just started teaching. Like who am I to challenge the system? I don't know anything. And in the same way until our students are empowered by being told by their teachers who yeah. were empowered by their administrators who were empowered by experience and on and on and on. Right. Like, uh, so, so as an educator, I feel like oftentimes it kind of has to, we have to say like, Break it. fuck the system. Right. It starts, it starts with us and like, we can try to push in both directions. Um, cause if, if we can make it easier for our students, they are the literal future of the world. So they're coming up into those positions. Um, and like, that's where that aspirational long-term mindset can be like a little bit more manageable as a teacher is like pushing on the levers that we have access to that biggest lever being what happens in the four walls of our classroom, five days a week, the four walls of my zoom screen. Yeah. Two days a week. Not absolutely. And it, I feel like it all starts with like high expectations. You got to have a family. Mm-hmm. I think of a Walder's advisory, you know, your advice, all your advisories, you know, your, the connections you all make with your scholars, it's just invaluable and you know they would never forget you all you know they're, they're definitely gonna i feel like they say uh you're never gonna forget what you're gonna forget what the teacher teaches you but you're not gonna forget how they made you feel i think with you all they're gonna definitely remember what they what you talked them because y'all are really good teachers at your subjects as well and they're gonna remember how you made them feel because you all definitely come from love what'd you say better or worse they can remember how i made them feel absolutely absolutely cool 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 so we're gonna get into the last question and anybody you know you all have been amazing i'm really really thank you all for blessing the podcast and then uh, we can end on maybe just like some quick solutions that you think you want people to get from the podcast just whatever it could be a teacher it could be a parent listening or it could be a student listening as well so the last question is you know why do you teach um and why is it important to achieve equity in education, specifically Detroit? I guess I can start. I've been starting. Um, <laughs> I mean, I teach fundamentally because I think it's fun as shit. Like, I, I just had a really good time. Um, and and I think I would tandem that with it's, it's fun and also, um, like, education in general is a, is a genuinely really important aspect of life to me. Um, I don't think the education that happens in the walls of a classroom is end all be all. I know it's not the only education that one undergoes in their life by any means, but I think it is an incredibly, and I don't think many people would disagree with this, but it is a fundamental belief of mine that that's like a deeply forming, formulating, uh, impactful time and and structure in in one's life. Um, And so I think it's a privilege to be able to be a part of that for students and um, it demands my excellence, which I love as like a competitive person. I love to be able to go to work every day. And it can be hard sometimes, but to go to work every day and say like, 
my being good at my job today has very high stakes for like real impact on people's lives. Um, I think that's an incredibly rewarding thing to have as a teacher. Um, and I think it's something that all teachers carry with them. Um, but also it's just fun. Like we have a good time. Um, every day is a little bit different. It's, it's a great time. Um, and why educational equity is important specifically in Detroit. Um, I think it's just, Detroit has been, is, is a manifestation of, of the wrongs of America. You know, everything that's been done wrong to Americans has been done wrong to Detroit. Um, but it's an incredibly beautiful and resilient city. Um, and it's one that like specifically in the education space has just been done so dirty, but yeah. still is able to churn out leaders of the world through the education system. Like you meet people that are products of DPS and they got put through underfunded, like undertaught, horrible schools and are still always like these intelligent, compassionate, hardworking people in my experience. So um, it's, it's a system that against odds has done really well, but it needs to not be against the odds at some point. Like right. let's, let's even the odds and then see what Detroit can really do then. Um, so I think that's, that's a cool part of the journey too. When you find what you're passionate about, you'll never have to work another day in your life, you know? So it just doesn't, it doesn't even feel like a job to me. Like it feels like, like almost like a biological imperative. Like I have, like, it's just part of like my DNA. I have to like teach and it makes me feel like a complete person. Um, when I do, I think one of the biggest shocks of my entire life is I really thought that I was going to be a stay at home mom after I had my son three and a half years ago. And I, when I went back to the classroom, I realized that like a, a piece of my identity was missing. Like when I was on maternity leave and it didn't feel like I was like my true self unless I was like also teaching. Um, I think, uh, let's see, like why else do I teach? I mean, it's, it's an amazing lifelong journey of being a learner. Like, I think that's also why I love it because I've, I've always loved being a student and I've always loved being a learner. So being able to share that with students, um, I think also in particular working with teenagers, like it's such a critical, critical part of your development. Um, they're making really big decisions that can have lifelong impacts on the rest of their lives and, and being able to be, a sounding board for them when they really, really need it. Um, I think is just very, very rewarding. Um, and I think in terms of educational equity, like I, I still just really believe that education is, you know, the key to unlocking your success and potential as a human. Um, I think it has the ability just school in general to, you know, support kids that, are going, like I just said earlier, like just going through really difficult times and just being able to have said, like I've lived these, some, some difficult things myself and like, let's work through those problems together and, and build, you know, and that's like what you said earlier, that the relationship piece is huge. Like I'm a people person. And I think that's why I do thrive in education because I love making those relationships every single year. I love, I absolutely love it. And that's, what's been difficult about COVID because right. I do crave those relationships and not seeing those faces and not being able to give those hugs or fist bumps or have those little like hallway interactions was really, really challenging. And I think I, if I would give advice to anybody as an educator who's coming in, you know, 
just focus on that. If you focus on relationship building, everything else will fall into place. Your management will fall into place. Planning will be easier because you're excited to teach the kids that are in front of you. Like you want to teach that lesson because you want to see them thrive and excel. And, and like Evan said, I'm competitive too. So when I have a challenging learning objective, like I go into that room, it is like a competition. Like I am challenging myself so that every single kid can learn that. And when they don't, I feel like I lost. And like, that's what keeps me going year after year after year is like, I just want so badly for like one day, every single kid in my AP class to like get a passing score. Like that, it would just be like magnificent. Um, and yeah, it just continues to be a challenge. It, and I, and I absolutely love that part of it too. And you will do that. You will have that AP class. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. She's got it next year for sure. Yeah. Um, yo, y'all got me hyped up to like be ready to like go go back to my classroom like tomorrow. Like let let's just get it going now because like I think enjoy <laughs> oh, your summer break. <laughs> I mean, hey, I mean, but but that's what I think that's what makes teaching so special for for the four of us is that like we draw so much energy not only from our students but from each other and like Evan and and Alex said like that passion just drives, I think, a lot of the work we do and why we do it. Um, Calvin, when you mentioned, like, this idea of, like, remembering how teachers make you feel, I think about, like, I knew I wanted to be a teacher in middle school because of how, like, learning felt to me and because how my teachers made me feel. But also, I think just, like, teaching and learning is such a human experience, right? Everyone has teachers in their lives, whether they are in a school classroom or just in, in life, you learn from people. And I think because it's a shared human experience, uh, and like Alex said, like we work with human beings and I think that humanizes so much of what we do. I would hate, I literally can't even imagine what it would be to like to work in like a cubicle in like an office. Like I don't, I don't know that I could operate that way. And like teaching allows me to to have those human interactions to make sure that not only I'm learning, but other people are learning around me, right? Just being a part of that experience. Um, and like, like we nerd out, like we geek out for our stuff. Like when I walk into Calvin's room and, and they're wrapping like measurements or like when I'm in Evan's room and they're reading a Spanish novel, like kids who have never seen a Spanish word, word in their life or, or Alex has them memorizing the periodic table, whatever it is, like, Like when I teach, because I noticed this also when I like stopped teaching like history classes for a little bit Mm. and then I I started teaching AP again, like just like when I got in front of the room, I started talking about stuff and you could tell that it just like lights up something inside of you. And it's, it's what we look for in our kids all the time, right? Like what lights them up? And I think teaching is what does that for us. Uh, And, and so that's what like drives us to no matter how difficult we might, we might like bitch and moan about like this part of this and that, but like at the end of the day, like I would never do anything else. Like you couldn't, you could not pay me any sum of money to do something else because this work just means so much. Um, and it makes me think so much about like, uh, why equity is so important in education specifically because so much of the system is built by non-educators. So much of, what we deal with and what our kids deal with is determined by outsiders. And when we think about like real change, right? Change needs to come from the ground up. And I only think like Evan and Alex said, 
I think through education and, and reimagining what education is in this country is the way to build equity because you, you need to, to tear down the system. You need to have the people who can do that and who feel like they can critically think, yeah, Cal, to, to change that system. Right. And so I think that's the work that we're doing um, in education right now is, is reimagining it. And again, letting our kids be the guiding for that. Right. So they're guiding me on how I can support them to change the system because I know the system's messed up and I know that I'm in the system. So we got to figure a way out of it. And then the last thing I'll say is just even like, why did I even move to Detroit? I think was so much about the people and the city. Right. So, so to Evan's point, like historically what, what, education has meant to this city is like the people of Detroit, like they deserve this shit. Like this is, this is what they deserve without a doubt. And so whatever part I need to play in that, I'm willing to do it. But I also know that like, I could have gone a lot of places around this country to teach, but it was the people of Detroit. You could tell immediately how passionate people like Detroiters are about Detroit, right? Like if you know someone from Detroit, you know, they're from Detroit. Uh, and, and that energy that just this city holds with the people who are here, uh, is really what's going to like change the world. Like, like Evan said, I truly believe that, that our kids have that energy and they're going to take it far beyond, uh, this city. What about you, Kyle? You got to answer the question, my man. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I teach because my mama taught, you know, my mama taught, you know, because, you know, she wanted to provide equal an opportunity for her people. And I, you know, I look at Detroit as New Orleans, you know, it's my people, you know, and I want to give them what they got in Ferndale, Livernois, you know, Troy, I want to give them what they have, you know, because they deserve it. Um, you know, and that's the equity, right? You know, I feel like I, I am, I'm a great educator. Um, I think you all are amazing educators, and that's not just me saying it, because I've seen you do it, right? And, you know, our kids deserve the best educators, um, and that's just it. You know? hey, bro, this is kind of off track, but who reps their city harder, people from New Orleans or people from Detroit? Oh! <laughs> people from New Jersey. People from New Jersey, Evan, that's, that's the answer. Like those are like the I know, right? You got so many people from so many different places. I, mean, yeah, I feel like New Orleans and Detroit, in my experience, they rep their – you can't meet someone from either of those cities for longer than one and a half seconds without knowing where they're from. <laughs> hey, it's the identity, man. And that's why I think you got to teach identity in school, right, so you can be proud of where you come from, you know, uh, and have pride in that. You know, and carry it wherever you go, man. You know, I'm five full till I die, man. So I'm excited. But yeah, man, I appreciate you all coming on T Simple Podcast. We focus on providing simple solutions in the classroom. Real quickly, where can we find you all and where you all got coming up? You know, what's your social media tag? What you got coming up? Alex, the ladies go first, and then we can go with Ricky to Evan. Yes, uh, you can find me on Instagram is mostly where I'm active at Alexandra Buwalda. Um, I am a mom of two little kids as well as a science teacher. So you'll see lots of stuff on my story about how to kind of just do fun little science things at home with your kids. So if you are interested in getting ideas for that, you can definitely follow me. And then during the school year, you'll see a lot of science and chemistry jokes, as Mr. Nolan said. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah, uh, you all can find me on also on Instagram at hardworkzula, 
Z-U-L-A underscore 313. Got to rep the Detroit, you know, always uh, in my classroom. After New Jersey. <laughs> After New Jersey. Always, you, I'm always a Jersey boy, but, but definitely uh, got to rep that. Uh, yeah, and, and you'll find a lot of me uh, just like talking about this work. You know, I, I coach. I do a lot of things at the school just outside of my classroom. And so uh, that's highlighted there. I'm a huge Jeopardy uh, geek. So I, I have a Jeopardy calendar I post every day. Uh, and then my dog. So I'm a, I'm a single bachelor living with my dog right now through pandemic life. So me, me and my dog uh, are just, just chilling. Um, so, yeah, going to enjoy this summer. And then come back, excited to do this work with you all. Hardworkzula underscore 313. Ladies, single bachelor, hardworkzula underscore 313. You know it, Evan. You know it. I was going to put a graphic up right now. You got me, Calvin. It's all uh, good. It's all good, Calvin. Uh, man, I'm not all that active, to be per- perfectly honest with you on Instagram, but I'm ESAW802. Yeah. Uh, We've got the very dormant, but uh, Nellen was on there once time. It's in hibernation, but our podcast, Small Brains, Big Picks, is oh, where it's at. So when we revive that, I'm sure the Teach Simple podcast will let you know and we'll get a little collaboration happening. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, you find me in room 206 at my school. Come come <laughs> find my classroom. And check out uh, the podcast I did with Evan, Four Misconceptions of Culturally Responsive Teaching. Good one. I one of my popular episodes. I always uh, recommend that one. I actually recommended that uh, during a conference. Oh, so yeah. I had a bunch of people check out that podcast. So you definitely came through and blessed the podcast. But thank you all so much. Thank you all so much for just being yourselves. Thank you all for being amazing teachers. Our kids need you. We need you. Please remember that. Get your rest. This year has been two years wrapped in one. Woo! Man, please get your rest. Please get your rest. And I'm super excited to work with y'all fam. I started off calling y'all fam. I'm in and calling y'all fam. I got a number of love for y'all. Thank y'all so much for blessing the podcast. Thank you so much. Love you, Cal. Love you, Cal.